Hey, Spookies. Just want to give you a little heads up on this episode. If you have children, you might want to skip this one. We're going to be telling a story about children who were killed in a very horrible way. So if you're sensitive to that, this might not be for you. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Howdy, spooktacular people. This is Jill in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast. This episode is entirely listener supported. If you'd like to join me as an executive producer, check out the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com. Thanks for listening. Keep it spooky, y'all. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 201st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we're going to bring you the Shiloh Inn in Salt Lake City. Today, it is known as a Holiday Inn Express, but it has been through a series of name changes. A horrible family tragedy took place at this location, and it has led to some hauntings. We're going to be joined by Kaz Linza, who created the Cemetery Society on Facebook and is a listener in just a moment to share all of that with us. We recorded and uploaded this podcast before we left on our road trip. So for those of you who have joined the Spooktacular crew, we will be welcoming all of you in our 203rd episode. So just because we don't welcome you here, we will get to it. Don't worry. And now, this moment in oddity. And this moment in oddity was suggested by Bob Sherfield. There are theories that a comet struck the Earth thousands of years ago, and this wiped out creatures like the woolly mammoth. Civilizations began to rise after this event. Gobekli Tepe is an ancient archaeological site atop a mountain ridge in Turkey. It is believed that the site is a Neolithic sanctuary used for ceremonies. Experts at the University of Edinburgh analyzed mysterious symbols that appeared to be animal carvings on a pillar known as the Vulture Stone. These engineers realized that the creatures were actually astronomical symbols, which represented constellations and a comet. This comet is thought to be the cataclysmic one that led to an ice age. Dr. Martin Sweatman of the University of Edinburgh School of Engineering, who led the research, said, I think this research, along with the recent finding of a widespread platinum anomaly across the North American continent, virtually sealed the case in favor of a younger Dryas comet impact. Our work serves to reinforce that physical evidence. What is happening here is the process of paradigm change. It appears Gobekli Tepe was, among other things, an observatory for monitoring the night sky. One of its pillars seems to have served as a memorial to this devastating event. Probably the worst day in history since the end of the Ice Age. The Younger Dryas time period is when agriculture emerged and the first Neolithic civilization started. 
The idea that a pillar at Gobekli Tepe records such a monumental event and that it has lasted until today certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, this month in history. On the 6th, in 1856, explorer Robert E. Perry was born in Pennsylvania. He led eight Arctic expeditions and claimed to reach the geographic North Pole on April 6, 1909. There is some controversy as to whether he really did reach it, with some claiming he was about 60 miles away. Other accomplishments from his expeditions were that he proved Greenland is an island, the polar ice cap extends beyond 82 degrees north latitude, and he discovered the Melville meteorite, which is an island off of Greenland. Another interesting fact about Perry's expeditions is that the man who accompanied him on all of them, serving as his assistant and first man, who was a critical part of the team, was Matthew Henson, a black man, meaning that everything Perry accomplished in his expeditions was also accomplished by a black man. Henson was eventually honored by being reinterred at Arlington National Cemetery in 1988. The Shiloh Inn in Salt Lake City has been through a series of name changes. It started as the International Dunes Hotel, then became the Shiloh Inn, and is today a part of the Holiday Inn Express chain. From the outside, the building appears to be a non-distinct hotel, but it carries the heavy burden of a horrible family tragedy, and that tragedy seems to have led to hauntings. Kaz Linza created the Cemetery Society on Facebook, which is a page dedicated to cemeteries, haunted history, conspiracy theories, serial killers, and Halloween. He joins us to share the story behind the hauntings at Shiloh Inn and experiences that people claim to have had there. Kaz, you had contacted me on Facebook and said, hey, have you checked out the Shiloh Inn in Salt Lake City? And it was a place I had never heard of. And then you proceeded to give me the history behind it and the hauntings that were going on there. And I went, well, you know what? Why don't we have you come on the show and share it with everybody? Before we get into that, would you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? And also, we'd love to hear more about your Facebook group the Cemetery Society, because not only am I a taphophile, but we have a lot of listeners who really enjoy cemeteries, too. Right. Well, I'm originally here from Salt Lake City, West Jordan, to be specific, in there in Utah. I've always liked cemeteries. I just think that they're huge parks with beautiful artwork in them, and obviously it's like an equalizer. I mean, we're all six feet down and looking up. I just really like it. It's like the last final way to pay respect to people who have already been here and gone. There's find a lot of beauty in them and it's a peaceful place. I like it. And then as for my group, I ended up uh, creating that not too long ago. I just figured I wanted to kind of see if I could connect with more people that share like the same love that I have for graveyards and cemeteries. And so I created that a little less than a year ago and actually gotten a lot of likes on it. People all over the, the States and even the country 
Um, and even out of it, there's a couple people I have from England. There's a couple people in Kentucky and just really need to actually see it grow and see that we have um, same common thread in common. Well, it's a very eclectic group as well with the postings on there because it's not just cemeteries. You cover all kinds of things that we would be interested in, whether it's the paranormal, conspiracy theories, serial killers. So you got your true crime in there. You cover the gamut. Yeah, yeah. I try and cover everything that, like I said, I find interest in and then also even stuff to lighten it up, like a lot of Halloween stuff. So there's just a little bit of comedy and fun stuff in there, too. So it's just kind of breaks up a little bit of it and gives it all around kind of uh, aspect for people to enjoy. So I'm guessing that Halloween would be your favorite holiday? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. <laughs> I've, always loved, <laughs> I've always loved Halloween and Reese's and those two go together great. So Oh, I, I tell I you what, I'm right there with you. <laughs> do you have a favorite cemetery? I do, actually. It's called Mount Olivet Cemetery and it's in Salt Lake City, Utah. Is the second oldest I want to stay here in the in the state. I've actually been doing some research on it, so I will be releasing a story on it very soon on my page, Cemetery Society. I now it's beautiful. There's there's deer up there. There's great old monuments and just just a lot of nice history up there. Well, obviously you're interested in the paranormal. Is there a reason why you got so interested in it? It's always been around, and I've always listened to like other radio shows touch on the paranormal and stuff like that. But I think what really, really got me into it is I was listening to a radio show, a specific one, and it was basically talking about EVPs, which is electronic voice phenomenon. And it was saying how to capture it and what you can do to get a one, get one and get a couple. And I figured, well, I had a voice, I had a digital voice recorder at the time that I was carrying with me to uh, kind of jot down my notes without paper and stuff like that. So I figured okay, I'm pretty close to a cemetery. Let's uh, let's give this a shot. So I stopped over at one of the cemeteries where one of my friends were buried, and I lost her junior high, and so uh, I did give her a visit. So I went over there to her grave, and uh, I set down the voice recorder on her grave, said a couple personal stuff, was there for about maybe five-minute period, and then uh, on the way back, I went to pick it up, and I kind of thought in my head, I go, well, I guess I, I have one question, because I really didn't ask a question. I just basically shared memories of what we had. And so I go, I guess one question, is there a God? And I felt kind of dumb for asking it. <laughs> so I kind of laughed and uh, said my goodbyes from there. So I picked up the recorder and I started heading back to my vehicle. Well, it was a good walk. So uh, I got maybe 30 feet of my vehicle. And it comes to the point to where I asked the question, is there a God? And I hear... And I was like, what? I, I, I must be going crazy. I'm, I'm hearing something there. So rewind it again. Yes, one question, is there a God? So I'm like, I'm totally hearing something. So I went back to my friend's house that I played with in a band at the time, and they had a great big PA system. So we ended up throwing it through that. He's like, they heard it too and stuff at the same time. And they're like, who, who was with you? And I'm like, there was nobody with me. I'm like, it was me, and this is what happened. And I heard that you can capture them through voice recording, blah, blah, blah. Well, one of my other friends were there and said that he knew some people who were into the same stuff with EVP. So we took it over to their house and she was able to throw it into her computer and analyze it. And they determined that they were saying three syllables and they determined that they were saying there is one. Wow. And so ever since then, and they even cleaned it up through the computer that they were able to do. So ever since then, I kind of was like, yeah, this, this has my 
attention now. I kind of want to get more into it. And I've also ca uh, caught other EVPs too. So that just kind of made me get more into it. Eventually later on during the years, I, uh, I caught a picture. It was really, really weird in the reflection of um, mirror of my window on the side of my truck, which there's no way that there could be any kind of reflection to capture any kind of silhouette of the face that I did capture. So that's kind of what personally got me into a lot of the paranormal. Well, that's a good reason. Usually somebody has a haunting experience and they want to know more. So that would explain it. I got a buddy who does the same thing and he's actually got a local show that he's been trying to get off the ground. Uh, ghost hopping with Marcus is cool. what it is. And there's times where I've actually listened to the rough stuff that he's captured before he goes to editing and an extra pair of ears and an extra pair of eyes are always better. And I mm -hmm. was catching stuff that he didn't even catch and then he was listening to it and catching stuff that I didn't catch. So yeah, it's always nice to have a broader audience and to catch stuff that you miss and maybe even perspectives that you may not even see. Now, is this a show that's on the local radio or is it a podcast? I know he's got a couple episodes on YouTube if you're able to look up Dose Hopping with two Ps. The International Dunes Hotel was built in the 1970s in Salt Lake City. One of its features was an external glass elevator that carried guests along the 12 floors. This offered great views of downtown Salt Lake City and the Wasatch Mountain Range. The Shiloh Inn Hotel chain bought the property at some point, and that is the name that it is mainly known by when talking about hauntings. Neon red lights ran up and down the building during this phase. In 2014, the Burgess Investment Group bought the Shiloh Inn and did a complete revamp, dismantling those neon lights and overhauling the 200 guest rooms and lobby. It was reopened as a Holiday Inn Express with what they call the new Formula Blue look. Well, the Shiloh Inn is like most hotels out there. It's gone through a series of owners and name changes. It was the International Dunes Hotel, then it was owned by the Shiloh Inn Hotel Chains, and now it's a Holiday Inn Express. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it's what they've recently turned it into now. Would you describe what the building looks like for everybody? So what it looks like now, what it looked like before, it was kind of more stuccoy, and it had an outside elevator that had lights on the bottom. And then on each of the four corners, it used to have bright orange neon lights running up and down it. Well, now they've kind of revamped it where they've put like fighting kind of material on there, and then they took off the lights. They took away the outside elevator, and it's kind of got like where the balconies are, a little bit of green paint underneath them to obviously go with the holiday and express theme and colors that they have. That's pretty much what it looks like now. There was a restaurant that was connected to the bottom portion and the lobby, which is still there. They just renamed the restaurant. Other than that, they uh, pretty much kept the building intact of how it was. As for the inside, I haven't been in the inside since they've remodeled it, so I'm not able to tell you what that looks like anymore. Well, that's a real bummer they got rid of that elevator because it sounded really neat since it was all glass on the outside. You get a pretty good view of Salt Lake City, I would think, from the elevator. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice. You were able to overlook to the north side to where the Capitol is at and see the old Salt Palace Center where that was. And yeah, it was it was really nice, really fun to ride up and down. There was... um. <laughs> There was one time I stayed up there again with my father, who used to be a security guard up there, and we was riding it up, and he was getting off some of the floors to do his checks, and we witnessed a guy back up, obviously drunk, into his truck and hit it and take off. Oh, yeah. Well, at least you saw it. Fun time. Yeah. <laughs>
The reason why there seems to be some hauntings going on here is connected to a really tragic event. Would you share everybody the details of that? Yeah, so what had happened is a lady, from what I've gathered and researched and, and talked to even other people of kind of their story too of what they've heard about it is, there was a lady and a couple of her kids, they were staying there for over a year and her husband kind of not been stable and went on like second coming of Jesus kick, I guess I can <laughs> kind of call it. Well, he had went up in Immigration Canyon, which is just northeast of Salt Lake and committed suicide. And he told basically his wife before he did that, that, you know, she needs to throw all the kids off the balcony to come to Christ or whatever he believed. And so she ended up doing that. Well, there was one of the children I heard that survived. And later on, I guess they had interviewed her on an Inside Edition episode, but I was actually able to, uh, dig up a little bit more of the story in this to add to what I didn't add in there and stuff. Well, I guess one of my friends from high school, her, I think her father was a first responder uh, with the EMT service. And he had said that when they had seen the kids, that they were just, just completely messed up. There was their hands. You could tell that they didn't want to jump willingly and were scratched up. And I had actually talked to, this is when I was way younger, I talked to um, the cook who used to run the kitchen in there. And he said that he came in the morning and he had heard thump, thump, but he had just turned on the oven. So we thought it was ovens. But then he noticed from the rafters up top where the air conditioning system was that there was a bunch of dust and debris coming through. And then he heard people screaming. And so he came out onto the street to see what was going on. And he witnessed three of them fall out of the mm. six. This is just horrible. First of all, if we rewind back to her husband committing suicide, it, it's fairly well known there in Salt Lake City about this cult that he had run, right? Yeah, from, from what I gathered and stuff, that he had some kind of cult with um, uh, following. And obviously, the FBI was in on whatever his doing was. Me personally, I think that's probably one of the reasons why he may have actually committed suicide if he was facing jail time. And I think that was probably the only way that he's seen out. Maybe, you know, he told his wife to, you know, get rid of the children. Yeah, it's really tragic what, what had happened. Charles Bruce Longo was born in Yonkers in 1938 to a wealthy doctor and his wife. He joined the Marine Corps after high school. And while he was in the Marines, friends acquainted him with the beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He decided to convert from Episcopalian to the Mormon faith in 1958, and Longo became an LDS youth leader and assistant Boy Scout leader. In 1960, he accepted a Mormon missionary assignment to Uruguay. He learned Spanish and could quote the Book of Mormon from memory. Things were going really well until he started hearing voices. He returned to Yonkers and was hospitalized for hepatitis and mental illness. He moved to Utah in 1961 and attended Brigham Young University. He met a Swedish immigrant there named Margit Brigitte Eriksson. They eventually married and had three children before Longo graduated from BYU in 1965. They would eventually have seven children in total. After this, Longo had a vision that he was going to become a powerful leader in the church. He came to believe that he was a prophet of God. Eventually, he moved into thinking that he himself was God. He began to ramble to other Mormons about impending calamities. You know, the end is near. <laughs> the Mormon church finally excommunicated Longo in 1969. He decided to form his own religious group and changed his name to Emmanuel David. He called his cult the Family of David and moved them into a commune in Manti, Utah. Emmanuel David wrote to the Israeli Knesset in 1973, 
I am the father of Jesus Christ that you slew. I am the only one that can deliver you. Without me, you will perish. I am the father of Israel, and the blood of Israel runs through my veins. You can imagine the Knesset was like, what in the hell? They're probably going, <laughs> okay, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> he wrote another letter claiming that he was the new president of the Mormon church and that the current president in 1977, who was Spencer Kimball, was an evil shepherd. He told the church, your people are perishing in their ignorance and unbelief. The enlightened one, I guess. Yeah. Maybe Emmanuel David was a true believer in his godhood, but he definitely was a believer in the power of his influence to get money. He began embezzling funds, and obviously he was a fraud. He committed wire fraud and tax evasion as well. The FBI started paying attention. The warped beliefs of the cult included the claim that the Star of David belongs to Emmanuel David and not to the Jews. They claim white people are the real Israelites and the true children of God. They point to the lost books of the Bible as their proof for this. Followers believe they were reincarnated biblical figures like Moses, Abraham, Adam, and Eve, and others. An article reported in 2008 that the family of David cult was reemerging with sex in Denver and Spokane. So he leaves his wife and seven kids all on their own here. She's obviously despondent. And I just, I can't even imagine how despondent you must be that you throw your children off of a balcony. I, I can't either. you got to be in a totally different frame and set of mind to, to see or even do that, to realize that there's no other options. And, and not only be responsible for your actions, but now you're obviously responsible for somebody else. Yeah, and the eldest daughter somehow, I think she was helping her mother with it. I don't know if she was telling her she needed to help out, and then she heaved her over, and she is the one who survived and is in a wheelchair and had brain damage from it. I don't know how in the world she survived that. Yeah, I don't either. From 11 stories, it's it's pretty nuts how she did survive it. So I know that a lot of different people have experienced hauntings here, and one of them is a rather well-known person. If you're into the group Oingo Boingo, or I happen to love the music that he makes for movies, and that's Danny Elfman. This is a place he likes to stay. Yes, that's what I've researched on and seen that he actually had written The Nightmare Before Christmas there. He's a frequent person who loves to stay there and loves the atmosphere and likes Utah. Well, that is one of my favorite movies. And to hear that, it's like, wow, maybe I have to visit this place. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice. It's not too bad. Utah's got a lot of fun, a lot of fun attractions and a lot more hauntings. There's a lot of other stories that I've researched on and places that I know that are haunted and not just this place. This is just one of them. So yeah, Utah's a nice place. So what do you hear about hauntings going on there? What do people describe? So again, with my father working there, I had heard some of his stories and then talking to the cook and some of the bell people. I know that there was a guy who had actually jumped from the roof into the pool. And after that had happened, they actually enclosed the pool. There was a payphone that used to be out front that somebody got murdered and stabbed in there. There was a junkie that overdosed in the back stairwells. There's the kids I hear that if they got thrown off, the children that play on the second floor, there used to be a pinball machine that would go off. And then also too, I had heard that you can hear them in the pool area where it echoes. You can hear them laughing and playing a lot. That's creepy. Anytime I hear about children ghosts, it always kind of freaks me out because you just think of those children laughter and there's no kids there. It's like, where is that coming from? Yeah, pretty much. So I actually had a chance to stay in the room where she had thrown all of her children off and herself. And it was on Christmas Eve and me and my sister, we were spending it with my father. And so 
you know, us being tough on Christmas Eve, we're like, Dad, get us that room. And he even told us, are you sure? We're like, yeah, get us, get us that room. So he goes, okay. So he got us the room. So how the room layout was is you go into the door and to your left would be the kitchen and it would go into another another bedroom area. In front of you was like the living room area and then the balcony and a TV to the right of you was the restroom and then we go into another room that was like the master bedroom well me and my sister had watched a movie and as we were watching it we had heard the toilet flush a couple times and we just thought it was weird plumbing or piping or whatever and so sure. we didn't pay no mind but we had ended up falling asleep i ended up falling asleep and what i woke up to was my sister yelling at me about a guy that was in the room and where's dad and i was like what is going on so finally we got her to calm down and this is the story that she told and I can't tell like her because it didn't happen to me and I can't say what the motion she did. It gives me goosebumps every time I hear her tell it. So what she said had happened is she was sleeping and she seen the door open up and it was kind of a figure of a man in an old derby hat and a duster style jacket. Well, she's kind of thinking what's going on, you know, and he starts walking in and she's yelling at him, but she's yelling at him in, in her in her head get out of here. What are you doing here? Get out of here. And the guy comes over and he sits down on the bed and she's like, like screaming in her head at this point, get out of here. What are you doing in here? Get out of my room. And so he goes to, to touch where the blankets are. And all of a sudden she said that the sheets had tightened up and she couldn't breathe. And she's like gasping for air. And she's yelling, get out, get out. And then finally she was able to get the sheets off. So she looked around, nobody was there and she had passed out. And then she had woke up in the morning, and that's what I had woken up to was her basically yelling, you know, who was that guy? Where's dad? Where's dad? Wow, that is very creepy. And the thing that is unique about that is this woman has committed suicide and killed her children. This guy isn't one of them. So it's like, where did he come from? Yeah, it's it's really weird. And she had also told me, too, that this is where this guy originated from. And I guess he had followed her to two other residents of where she used to live and she said she noticed he would come around when she was doing like bad stuff that she knew she shouldn't have been doing at the time she was a teenager and teenager doesn't do stuff that we shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. but she uh said the last time she had seen him was the second residence that she moved to and she said that he came into the trailer where she was living at and she was yelling at him again in her head this is all in her mind and in his mind and they're yelling back and forth well, she said that she felt him throw her downstairs, and she said she felt her head hitting the back of these stairs, but in the place where she lived, there was no stairs there. I guess she just basically got really upset and figured, you know, you've fallen here, you've started here, and I'm just not going to take it. And so she, like, completely went off the handle in her mind, said a few choice words, and he had taken off, I guess. He just completely dissipated is what she said. And then shortly after that, she ended up going into college and, and straightening up her life a little bit more. And uh, she said from that point on, she had never, ever seen him again. But what's weird is I kind of actually did research on this guy, and they call him the hat man, and that he is a shadow figure. And I've got a story on Cemetery Society about him, but every... Every story that I've researched and even heard on other radio shows, pretty much sharing a common thread that it has to do with something with sleep paralysis, which mm-hmm. is what my sister dealt with when the sheets tightened up on her. Other people say it's a force that holds them down. But 
it's really strange that him and this episode of the Shiloh tied together. That is interesting. I was going to ask you if she had something that was attached to her because we talk about a lot of haunted locations and things like that, but we know that sometimes people themselves are haunted where something attaches to them. But to hear you mention the hat man, I am very familiar. It's one of the few shadow figures, so to say, that has been given its own name. And it always seems to show up with that. Either you hear a derby hat or like a a flat type of hat. Yeah, a fedora. Exactly. And it is. It's almost like the old hag syndrome where if you're seeing him, you're experiencing some kind of paralysis in the bed. And like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be that you just can't move your body, that it could be that there's something impeding you from moving, which would, in her case, have been the sheets holding her down. Wow, that is really weird. And it makes you wonder if because you guys were in this location that had what I would say a very sad and maybe even dark energy to it because of the murders and suicide, if it wasn't something that he kind of fed off of. Yeah, I'm sure that could have a part to play in it. Any kind of energy that gets time-stamped and maybe residual just plays over and over. I think anything that can draw energy, whether it be good or bad, I I think an entity is going to use it. So I don't doubt that at all. So did your dad and all the time that he was a security guard there, did he have any experiences himself with hearing the children? Yes, he's heard the, he heard the children in the pool area. Okay. He's one of the ones who had first initially realized that they were there and everybody else had been like, oh, they're on the second floor on the, the pinball machine and stuff. But yeah, that's where he heard it. And he's had experiences too, actually, with my favorite cemetery, Mount Olivet. He used to actually work for the Water Conservancy District up there repairing sprinkler heads. And there's been a couple times that he had told me that he'd be down working on a sprinkler head and he heard his name called and he thought it was his boss. And he looked up and nobody's there. He had described to me one time where he was watching a jogger run and the jogger ran behind the tree and should have came out the other side, but never did. Hmm. Interesting. Kaz, I want to thank you for suggesting this location. Like I said, it was a place I'd never heard of before, and it's got a a very interesting backstory to it, and the fact that it's led to these hauntings as well is is fascinating. And I joined your cemetery society, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the other stuff that you post up there, because you do post a lot of historical hauntings up there. I do, I do. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I look forward to Keep hearing your guys' podcast. I stumbled across it on iHeartRadio, and as soon as I heard it, I just hit all the way to the first episode, and it took me a good three months <laughs> to finally get caught up to, to the latest episode. So you guys do a really, really great job. So well, i got to thank you guys for that. Thank you. We, By the time this post, we'll have had our 200th episode, and I can't believe we've done so many. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your weekend, Kaz. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, you too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There were only a handful of followers, and we hope it remains that way as this cult led to this horrible tragedy. Is the Shiloh Inn harboring the spirits of the David children? Is the Shiloh Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. Really horrible story, isn't that, Denise? Uh, I, I have no words. That's awful. Yeah, I just, uh, when Kaz was telling me this story, I was, I couldn't believe it. You know, unfortunately, nowadays, it happens more than we care to even think about that a mother would kill her children in such a horrific way. So, of course, one would expect this place to be haunted. I, you know, I, I can't even imagine, like, yeah. what, what breaks in your brain to have you think that that's going to be 
any kind of an answer. It just... Uh, that's what's so dangerous about these cults. You know, they we kid about brainwashing people in our spooktacular crew, but the truth is when people do go through this kind of brainwashing, and I mean, there's some that are still keeping this cult going to this day that are his family members. It's like this led to this horrible tragedy. And for this mother, she thought, well, I need to join my husband and take the kids with us. And I just... Ugh. On our next episode, we're going to be joined by one of our executive producers. You've heard him on our show before, Stephen Pappas. He attended what we would call Appalachian State University. He calls it Appalachian State University. He's going to share with us the history there and the hauntings that are going on. We hope you guys will join us for that one, another location there in North Carolina. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people have feedback to send us, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We have a couple of things to share from the Spooktacular crew. The first one's from Kayla Storytime, and she has a picture here. This is my dad's grandfather's clock. He got it as a retirement present. He passed away about 20 years ago. He haunts this clock. The door on the face of the clock opens, and you have to update Grandpa on what's going on. He was always a super social guy. Before the clock door will stay closed. We've checked the wall and the clock, and both are level. Interesting stuff there. Would seem that he's keeping an eye on you guys. Tell Grandpa we said hi. And then Kristen has coined a great phrase here. So the living impaired person, love that, in my group home has been active this week. Just before posting this, she apparently decided that I had enough coffee and that my mug looked good on the floor across the room. Now, as I go to clean it up, I feel very, very, very thankful that I just have around half an hour left in my shift. By the way, I have worked in multiple group homes and shelters. Every single one was haunted. The last one at which I worked had an inhuman, I think. Very, very, very negative energy made me nauseated, which was the biggest reason I left that job. I think that it might have something to do with having so many traumatized and sad folks in one place. Just a theory. I don't know. Just strange. Thanks for sharing that, Kristen. And I think your theory is spot on. Seems like that negative energy just holds on to a place. And we do have a review from iTunes. This is from Jersey Diva. Fantastic. Five stars. This podcast is just fantastic. I just love the historical stories, the different destinations. Denise and Diane just make it so much more interesting with their interaction. You might be interested in my state, New Jersey, where I live. We have the Jersey Devil, Batstow, the Pine Barrens, so very much history along the Delaware River during the Revolutionary War. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Jersey Diva, and sending us your review. And we actually did do an episode on the Jersey Devil. I can't think of the podcast number off the top of my head, but it was early on. and It was called The Legend of the Jersey Devil. Definitely a spooky story there. Yes, indeedy. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Julianne Hanscom. And thanks to Jill Phoenix for your donations. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.